0: If you only heard what I said before I hit
1: record, it's just good not to commit heresy. (laughs) Or at least not to have heresy recorded, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Don't record heresy if you're going to commit. No,
1: don't do it. Hey, welcome to the Tangent. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Father Sam Kachuba. Mm -hmm.
0: I'm Matt Sparazza.
1: It's great to to be with you today. So I am keeping track of my my future sister-in-law who is running the Richmond Marathon today. Okay been a lot of fun kind of watching Uh,
0: yeah you were sharing before
1: she's uh at this point as we're as we're speaking at about mile 21 or just about at mile 21 Mm -hmm. so she's almost she's almost there Mm -hmm. and uh i'm i'm sure that she's happy to Mm -hmm. be close to the end yeah
0: yeah Uh, i've uh i think i've never run more than four miles okay i
1: i don't think i have either yeah Uh, maybe i've run five miles once but that was not recently i had to do a jog (laughs) run
0: class in college Oh okay. Yeah, well, they made us do a phys ed class, and I got to the very last semester of senior year. I know, isn't that weird?
1: Phys ed in college?
0: Phys ed. That's what I'm calling it because it was like a. Yeah, but there was like a there was like a physical, you know, I guess education. Because what else do you call it? They wanted their students to be healthy. So they, they, it was like a one credit class.
1: Oh, I see. For credit, you got to go and work out and do something. Right. And it was,
0: and it was really, I think both classes were one credit. Okay. And a regular class at Belmont was three. Right. Right. So it was like, not really a class but they you didn't have
1: to, to study real hard yeah, for, yeah. for going wanted, out to run
0: right right they wanted to force you into staying healthy at some force you I mean it, it was from a good no.
1: initiative you know sure and uh, if, if you're gonna offer the credit that's that's as good as right. as any bribe as could be right yeah and, take no, this but one it, credit it, and
0: it was a it was a school that requ- every every major at Belmont required two of those classes
1: Wow okay yeah that's pretty interesting but I did I don't jog- think I've ever heard of that
0: it was the only college I've ever seen do it and I I was I mean I didn't I didn't care either way. You know what I mean? It was like I just did it, you know? It was like okay, I got to run. So it was, I a, gotta it was run a thing, thing that happened. Semester.
1: Well, but Chelsea's killing it. She's she's running uh 10 and a half minute miles and uh That's awesome. way beyond anything that I could possibly yeah. do. Yeah. Now, I should say I were say running
0: that. that many miles? My miles would be like 30 minutes long.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Today? <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. That's, but that that got me thinking about it. So she's running these 10 and a half minute miles. And, and in my head, I'm thinking I could never do something like that. Yeah, yeah. And that's probably true. At this point in my life, at my age, I probably can't work my way up to, to running quite that fast mm-hmm. I'm sure somebody out there who runs is thinking you can absolutely do it it's totally doable and they'll they'll yeah. come and, and be willing to train me and I'd like to say thank you but I'm not interested so to, <laughs> to that person uh, <laughs> right because yeah. I really appreciate your offer yeah it's not actually an issue of can I mm-hmm. but do I have the desire
0: I would actually I would love to run I would love to be able to run a marathon it's
1: it's a cool thought it really is yeah. I just don't know if I have any desire to do something. I mean, maybe someday that desire will kind of grow in me, but then right. as the, so I'm thinking about the fact that she's running this incredible race and she seems like she's doing really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents she sent her a, a picture. No, no, she's, she's not. Uh, as she said yesterday, uh, the fast people go first and then her group was, was nice. much later. I like that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Right. I belong. What? Okay. Okay. That was, it was almost demeaning. What's the, what's the name of the gym that has like no weights, do You know what I'm talking about? There's a it's for real. I'm to, I'm totally serious. It's, a gym with there's no, no weights? free weights or something like that. It's only machines. If you grunt, there's like an alarm that goes off. Oh, you're th- like, you're talking about Planet Fitness. Planet Fitness. Yeah, yeah. She's part of the Planet Fitness group. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, but she's in the in a good way. She's been training for, for a long time yeah. and apparently her training regimen was more intense than what a lot of people do when they take uh, an actual marathon training class or, okay. or program or something. So okay. I think it's it's great. Yeah. Now, as I'm thinking about the fact that oh, I, I don't think I could ever do anything like this, it also made me realize that w- we do that pretty easily with a lot of other things. Yeah. We kind of assume, oh, I couldn't possibly do it. And then you discover what you're really capable of. Okay. How many times have, have you seen somebody think once upon a time, I could never, I could never do that, but all of a sudden they have to. Right. Sort of the choice is taken away from them. They have no choice but to rise to this occasion and they, and they do it.
0: I think that's, 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 I mean, in my experience, and it's a personal thing because there are definitely people who like I, for example, I just recently talked to Steve and he said to me, he was like, I don't think I've ever had an idea that I haven't achieved. And I was like, wow. Wow. That is, that's impressive. I have so many ideas per day that I don't achieve. Like I have like 20,000 ideas a day. And I would say that I get like maybe one done, you know? So, like,
1: well, that means that, that he has a gift for focusing on the idea that he's had right. and, and working on it. He's, you know, I have he's, the
0: gift of ADD.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to have that that ability to focus on something and say, here's this good idea, I wanna do it. And then to go and do it, that's what something powerful. I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I'd have to think about it. I mean, there's there's the charisms of. Oof,
0: I mean, because it's not it's not like of, administration.
1: It's not administration. No, it's at least not, at
0: least on the surface, it doesn't seem like it.
1: I suppose if the if the thing that you had the idea about was in the area of administration, then it's the exercise of the charism of administration. Right. Right. I don't know. I. I can't think of it I'd probably have to have the list of charisms or a list of charisms have right in front met of me
0: anyone that has the charism of healing
1: yes really yeah can you tell that story so the charism of healing is is one of those where uh by praying over somebody they bring about some some kind of healing right and and
0: it, th- it doesn't exclusively have to be physical
1: no exactly it can be a, a deeply spiritual sort okay. of a healing sometimes the the healing is is sort of words that are comforting, consoling reminders of things or it's it's not even the healing itself but it's the movement towards healing. Mm. So when this person prays over this person suffering with whatever it might be, especially if there's some spiritual wound present. Right. And in that prayer they're able to to speak some truth of God's healing will into that person's life that sets the ball rolling for that person to start to come to a deeper sense of healing and a deeper place where they're in union with God. And it, it's very powerful. There, there's- could it,
0: could it be more more uh, distance than that too? Could it be like, for example, Dr. Bob Shoots- Yeah. Has a book called Be Healed. He does. Right? And I am I mean, I haven't personally read that book. I've read some of his other work, uh, but I know I personally experienced a lot of healing through his works. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that technically be considered the charism of healing? Yeah. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. It's, Even though he's not physically standing over me praying.
1: Right, and and you're you're right to bring that in. The idea of, of a charism that isn't necessarily something that's exercised exclusively in, in the context of prayer. A lot of times when we talk about the charismatic gifts, we're talking about this charism that's exercised particularly in prayer, but you're right. right. You're absolutely right that that charism of healing, very often doctors, nurses, therapists right. have sure. the charism of healing. Sure. It's just that the way that the charism is exercised is through medicine. It's through good counseling and through psychology. Dr. Bob Schutz has done a tremendous amount of work in that healing area to help bring people to healing. And what's interesting is it's mediated by, for example, his books. Right. He's written these books and with those books, people read them and they're able to come to a place of Mm -hmm. of deeper healing. I did a a retreat with him a few years ago, actually. Oh man. He runs runs retreats for, for priests and I got to go down to Florida for a retreat with him and Sister Miriam James Heidland.
0: Oh, oh I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll,
1: I'll be really honest with you. When when I went on the retreat, the biggest fear that I had was meeting Sister Miriam. Really? She's a powerhouse.
0: Yeah, that doesn't surprise Watch me.
1: Watch any of her talks, listen to her, her podcast, listen to the just the things yeah. that she's saying, read the stuff that she's written. She's got a book that's uh, being used for Advent, uh, an Advent meditation book. Really? I think Ascension published it. Okay. And there's these powerful just these powerful insights that she has. She's, she's really remarkable. And the biggest fear that I had, because I would heard from other people, both lay people and priests, who had gone on these healing retreats with the JP2 Healing Center down in, in Florida. They'd gone on these retreats and they, they would talk about how Sister Miriam was just so powerfully speaking to them or just had some kind of insight into their life. And the whole time that I was, I was there, I'm, I'm on my way down and I, I get to the retreat center and I'm just nervous about meeting her because what if she reads my soul and knows everything? Mm. And <laughs> she's like the nicest person in the world. Yeah. I mean, as, I've as, never met her. but As kind as can be. It was, it was great. It was a really powerful retreat. But did she do that? She did not read my soul as far as I know. She, she may have and just kept it to herself. Right. Uh,
0: Is that what she's doing? You know, I, I don't know. I guess I'd never thought of – the only per- time I've ever thought of reading someone's soul has been in the context of Padre Pia. and so I always thought that was something that occurred in the context of confession.
1: Normally, when we when we see it as an extraordinary manifestation of a, of a gift of the Holy Spirit, yes, okay. it's in the context of confession. A, a priest has some particular insight into the state of a person's soul or into what they're what they're praying with. Mm-hmm. God enlightens them so that they can.
0: Have you experienced that personally? No. Okay.
1: No. Uh, however. I think there's another there's another way that reading souls kind of manifests, but it's not it's not as supernatural as it sounds. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to to deny any of the supernatural that, sure. that comes. But there's there's a certain level of just human psychology that you start to know. Mm-hmm. You start you get to know some people and you, you get to know certain cues and clues about the things that they're saying, or just patterns that people have. And these are general patterns that exist in human nature. And you can kind of start picking up on that stuff. As you see it happening, a person's talking about a, a particular struggle that they're having with uh, their boss, mm. just as an example. They're, they're having a hard time with their boss. And as they start talking, they're, they're mentioning other things, going back to their childhood. So they're, they're talking. About my my boss is really difficult, and it just reminds me when I was a kid, uh, it was always hard for me to get this.
0: And this is in confession.
1: No, not necessarily in confession. Okay, it could just, just be. It could just be in conversation. Okay. Uh, and it makes it really difficult for me to get uh, uh, because I, I, I'm reminded so much of how my dad used to talk to me mm-hmm. about this. Well, then you kind of point them to. Let's talk about your dad. Right. Right. And very often the wound is a deep wound from their from their father. Yeah, right. Something that can happen often in confession is somebody confesses one sin, and then they confess another sin, and all you have to say is, "Are those two related?" Right. Right. Are those two sins related? Right. Uh, somebody confesses, "Oh, I, I drank too much," and then they confess, uh, "I had a huge fight with uh, my best friend." Right. Those two sins related? well, yeah, I had the huge fight because I'd been drinking too much. Or after the huge fight- I was fight, drunk when I fought with him. <laughs> Or after the huge fight, I was so upset, I drank more than I should have because mm, I was just kind of right. trying to, to take my mind off it. Yeah. Okay, well, I wasn't reading a soul. Right. I was just kind of understanding right. the situation.
0: Yeah, but that could also be, I don't know, I, I recently went on a retreat for work and, and uh, I believe his name is Father Sean. I think he lives here in Fairfield. Um, oh, Father Sean Calese. Yeah, I yeah. know his last name. But he was talking Great Guy, about, Father Sean uh, Calesi,
1: Pastor of Holy Family here in here in Fairfield. Great guy.
0: But uh he was mentioning how he, he it 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 was something that clicked for me personally, right? About listening to the voice of the Lord and how prior to this retreat, anytime I was listening, I would immediately follow up my listening with like say I heard something, right? I would immediately be like, Was that you, Lord? And it clicked, to me, it clicked with, with me that I would never say that in a regular conversation. Right now, I'm sitting across from you, and if you said something, my response wouldn't be, Father Sam, did you just say that? <laughs> like, that's ridiculous,
1: you know? That is a ridiculous response, but you're maybe, right.
0: But maybe what you're saying, right, in this particular, you know, I mean, it's, it's a hypothetical example, right, uh, of, well, there's these two sins that are connected, and there is an aspect of human psychology, but it could also be, say it's not super clear that they're connected, right? It could be that the Lord whispers— you know, and says those two things are connected. Yeah, you know, and that's not necessarily reading the soul in this dramatic supernatural fashion.
1: There's a little bit of just being a student of human nature, right? Kind of knowing how people work, and as you get to know better how people work, you're you're able to ask these little questions or or point them to something and say L- maybe explore that. Yeah, let's let's have a look at at this thought process that that you're in. It's not that I'm reading somebody's soul, but I know what human souls look like. Yeah. And all, all of us are actually capable of that. yeah, the the more you get to know people, you, you just know how how people work. But when you're putting it into a spiritual context, there's there's an important component, which is that on the one hand, you want to make sure that it's it's kept prayerful, that whatever you're talking about, that you're you're keeping the focus on how God might be present and how God is working. On the other hand, you want to make sure that as much as you're trying to keep God present in that conversation, uh, you're also not assuming that every single word that you say is from God, because <laughs> that right. can be real dangerous. Right. Oh, of course. If I sit here and tell you, no, no, you have to believe everything that I say as though it's right. the voice oh. of God speaking to you, that's spiritual abuse, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: but it's also like talk about you know pride. Very <laughs> like, much. I mean, I I am the Word of God, and oh, so no. <laughs> you want to
1: you want to have that balance where right. you're. You're able to to suggest things, understanding that it might not be true. Right. The number of times I'll, I'll sit with people and I'll ask a question as, as they've been talking about something, I'll, I'll propose a question to them and say, does that sound right? Does that make any sense to you? And I think most of the time they say, yeah, that does make sense. Uh, every once in a while, I'll get, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Right. Okay. And then that, but that moves them to Which the next great. place. Which is great. Yeah, because yeah. it moves that person then to explain better what they're talking about, right. or even to have an insight into something about what's going on in their own spiritual life that they they didn't realize was happening, and now with that insight they're able to take the next step. Right. I think that's that's one of the reasons that spiritual direction, uh, broadly speaking, is so important, or even just having maybe not even direction, although I do recommend spiritual direction. Right. But just having that opportunity to to speak something to somebody else. Mm-hmm hey, let me run this idea by you. W- yeah. What do you think? Uh, fellowship,
0: actually, Christian fellowship.
1: Hugely important. I had that actually with some parishioners here. Uh, I met them when I first came as pastor. And so over the years, I've, I've gotten to know them really well. And I had an idea about something, but I wasn't sure if it made sense. But I knew that their dedication to the life of the church, broadly speaking, was going to be key Mm. to answering the question for me. Right. I was pretty sure I was right. Right. I was and pretty confident. Like, like
0: you, you've got something that you think the Lord's put on your heart. Yeah. Okay, okay.
1: I thought this was an idea for for how to do things with a particular group here in the parish, a way yeah. to structure it that we we hadn't had before. And I wasn't sure if if I really wanted to do it or not, but it was there. And then with that idea present then the confirmation that I was going to do it came, not because it was anything that... The de- the desire didn't grow in my heart. Mm. So you want to talk about, I can't run a marathon. I don't think I, can, I could run that fast. Or I don't think I could run that far. But then maybe there's there's a reason. Maybe there's, there's something that grows in my heart and a desire that grows in my heart. Or thinking there's no way I could ever do this difficult task, and then suddenly it's thrust upon you and you have no choice but to do it. Yeah. Well, this is one of those where... I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it at all. And then we got a note from the bishop uh, to all pastors saying, I need you to all of you to do this. Wow. And it happened to be about the very group that I was thinking about wow. and wasn't sure if I wanted to establish or, or work with. And so I went to this couple and I, I called them and I said, I, I wonder if I could come over and talk to you guys about something. I have an idea and I want to know if my idea is is on track or if it's crazy and you guys understand things do you know what I mean? And they said, yes, we do know what you mean. (laughs) Because their understanding of how the church works, their understanding of their place in the church and the important role of the church. And they also, because we've had so many conversations, they kind of know how my brain works or doesn't work. And so I was able to go and sit with them for a couple hours and we talked through this whole idea and it helped to bring up some things that I hadn't thought of. They gave me some wisdom and some insight that if not for that conversation, I wouldn't have had. And then I was able to get something going with this, with this group. And I was really grateful to them because they, they weren't afraid to tell me if I was wrong, which is a big deal. Which is so important. Yeah. And I knew that they would, I knew that they would be willing to tell me. And in fact, in subsequent conversations, we've, we've gone back and forth on different things and uh, we have some significant disagreements about certain subjects, but, What's awesome with it is that to sit down and talk with them, it's it's not angry disagreement, it's not a, a broken relationship kind of disagreement. It's it's more let's keep let's keep fighting this out and not fighting is the wrong word, right? But, but it's arguing in the proper sense. Like you ever see Bishop like Barron? A Socratic thing. Yeah. Well, have yeah. you ever seen Bishop Barron's uh, talk about arguing? No. He says we've lost the ability to argue well. This is one of his one of his talks. I can't remember. Look at modern politics. Exactly. But he talks about the importance of arguing well because we need to get at the the heart of the idea. And sometimes we're we're going around it and we've got to peel back these different layers. And we need to be able to talk about the things where we disagree. We need to be able to have those conversations, understanding that the purpose is the pursuit of truth. It's for the common good. And so even if I disagree with you, it doesn't mean that I hate you personally. It means I think your idea is incorrect. Help me to understand what you're talking about. I'll help you to understand what I'm talking about. And the more we actually have those arguments, the more solid our ideas become. Right. This couple is able to do that for me. Right. They're able to to tell me when they, it's amazing. Yeah. They're able to tell me that, father, I think you're wrong about that. Okay. Explain why. Or they give insight in, in areas that I don't have expertise in, because they have, they have a background in, in other things. And so they're, each of them bringing to the table just a tremendous, tremendous amount of experience and knowledge, and they're able to say things and explain things that I wouldn't have the insight into. And then with that, okay, now I've got this idea, uh, now you guys have educated me about something, let me try to bring in the theological, let me try to bring in the pastoral, and let me see how this all synthesizes. It's amazing. But those kinds of arguments are so important. Yeah. But you think sometimes I could never have that. I could never do it. Yeah. Couldn't possibly.
0: It's like, it's almost like a, it's like a plague on the modern age. This kind like, I don't know. It's, it's, I look at, I look at, maybe this is a tangent, but you know. <laughs> Everything's a tangent. Yeah. We'll roll with it. Uh, I look at, I look at modern politics and I think a lot of people look at modern politics and it's totally hopeless. Yeah. And I, I it's something that's interesting. I I recently, uh, for Veterans Day, um, the principal at Cardinal Kung Academy, which is where I work, uh, now everybody knows. Good. Uh, is uh, Dr. Alexander Miller. And he read, I believe it was Woodrow, uh, Woodrow Wilson's, uh, I thought it was him, maybe it wasn't. It was It was the inaugural Veterans Day speech, I okay. think. I, think. Uh, I missed the title of it when he said what he was saying. But I...
1: Just pointing out that a teacher at the school wasn't paying attention. I was paying just, attention. Just, was, so, was just so, just so we know what's happening here. It was it was just
0: <laughs> super early, and I hadn't had my tea yet. Um, <laughs> but he he read this speech, and I said to myself, "Wow, I didn't know presidents were this eloquent." And it's because I'm, so I'm only twenty five, you know, and I don't really remember. I don't really remember a president before Obama. And and I think Obama was a fairly eloquent guy, you know, like I, I I mean, I, again, I was younger, so I wasn't really paying attention, but really the two presidents of my adulthood are Trump and Biden.
1: Sure. Well, so
0: we've got like the, and this isn't to rip on either one of them to an extent, you know what I mean? But like, we've got Trump who's, you know, infamous for his Twitter rants. Sure. So it's like not exactly the height of eloquence. And we've got Biden who I think is wrong about a lot of things, you know? So it's like, I, I don't know. I like I didn't know that there was a place for intelligence in politics. Isn't that crazy?
1: It's not crazy given the modern circumstances in which we view and understand and experience the political arena. Right. However, if you look back historically and and you read some of the things that the the great politicians and leaders and statesmen of of the past have have said, you realize that there is a depth to their thinking. Yeah. Uh and in large part, we've we've lost that ability as a culture. Right. We, we've we've lost it. So it's it's not the fault of politics. It's not the fault of particular political leaders. It's that as a culture, we've become less and less capable of engaging seriously with ideas. Mm-hmm. We've become more and more convinced of that that need for just the quick soundbite. And we we kind of have lost the, we've lost the desire. I think.
0: I agree with you completely. Yeah.
1: I I think think it has everything to do with desire. Yeah. We've lost the desire to think more about things. And instead, we just kind of want to be told. Oh, and just tell me just tell me what to do. Yeah. Now, that just tell me what to do is not the worst thing in the world. I I experience that all the time. Like I don't want I don't want you to ask me what I'm thinking about or or what I'm looking for. Just just tell me what you need from me. Yeah. Uh, because that can actually help me to keep myself on schedule Mm -hmm. (laughs) that can help me to stay on task. Give me a focused thing that you need for me and I'm happy to do it. Right. Uh, on the other hand, there are really important issues that we need to think through and we need to think through them very deeply. Culturally, we're not doing a good job of that. And that's not a, a criticism of any one person or, or, Place or anything like that. It's just a, a, an observation of what's happening in our culture. If we don't think deeply about things, then we kind of jump on this word or that word, or we get caught up in kind of what we want to hear. There's a little we, we all fall into the echo chamber sometimes, yeah. right? And if it, if I'm if I'm hearing certain things, then I'll latch onto that. Actually, the guys on, on the pillar recently talked about this. Uh, do you ever listen to the pillar podcast?
0: Uh, I don't. I know what it is, and I've, I, I highly I've recommend read some of their. Some of their articles it's ha- the website too
1: yeah i highly recommend what they're doing they, they have a, a profound gift for being able to look at the life of the church and to talk about the stuff going on and, and to to speak about it with honesty and and yet with deep love for the church anyway they, they're writing about uh, or talking about rather during this episode who is the pope mm. and not meaning like who is the pope? The pope is Francis. <laughs> that wasn't the question. Well,
0: maybe what is the pope?
1: Exactly. It was. It was a little bit more about the the petrine office. But they yeah. they mentioned how uh, very how often How is the pope. <laughs> <laughs> we just asking who is the pope. No further wants wants to know how is the pope. <laughs> Where is the pope? No,
0: it's just like it's a children's book series. Sorry. The, okay. No, no.
1: They were saying especially since John Paul II's papacy. Yeah. Uh, as more and more media attention is paid to the pope who is the pope what is the pope saying that means that the particulars of papal messaging have become far more widespread far faster than ever before in the history oh, yeah. of the church oh yeah which means that certain phrases for example John Paul II talking about a new springtime of evangelization a culture of life the feminine genius these words that that John Paul used and they became kind of part of the common Catholic lexicon during yeah. during his pontificate. Yeah, real uh, fast, real fast. Benedict the Sixteenth spoke about the dictatorship of relativism. Uh, he he spoke about the the hope that saves, and and as you get into these things, so you'll start to hear these these phrases. A hermeneutic of continuity. Uh, these are yeah, phrases right, right. that that became really important in the pontificate of, of Benedict the right. Sixteenth. With Francis, it's accompaniment. Right. The peripheries. I say so you it all hear the time these things. They
0: smell like the sheep.
1: Exactly. Yeah. What happens is we have a tendency to start adopting the language of whoever is in charge. Mm-hmm. And so those little sound bites become a genuine part of our lexicon, a genuine part of the way that we're talking. Uh, but so often in, I think, modern political discourse, those little sound bites, or those little phrases also become limiting. So if everything is only accompaniment, mm. then anything that appears to be not accompaniment must therefore not be accompaniment. Right. We'll see this happen right now in the life of the church. If if I say this type of behavior is sinful, right. then it's very easy to be for me to be accused of then not accompanying people who might be guilty of that sin. Right.
0: I mean that is and that is one of the most common arguments, right, for for sins of the flesh.
1: Oh sure, but it's not just that. It's it's the idea that somehow by naming something, I'm also saying, you are are bad. Well, our culture is, is breaking down that ability to to look deeper, to be able to see uh, the big picture issue, uh, the big picture idea, and to talk about it intelligently and carefully and charitably. We need to kind of recover that that ability to say, this is this is an important thing for us to talk about. And it's important enough for us to talk about that I'm willing to engage with you. Even if you disagree with me, I, we need to talk about this more. Right. If you look at the word count of a, of a newspaper today, compared to, and granted newspapers have changed a lot because of digital media, mm-hmm. there's less of a need to, to print it. But if you, if you look at the word count of an article, uh, most articles that are, are being written are far shorter than articles used to be. Right. Or the vocabulary, uh, the vocabulary level of of most articles uh, for newspapers is around a sixth grade reading level. Really? Yeah, and that's deliberate. It's because it makes them accessible to everyone. So it's it's a positive. Right. That's a net positive in that regard because you're making the the news accessible to anyone. Right, but very often there's a loss though of precision uh there's a a vocabulary that's that's missing yeah Uh, a deeper vocabulary or a a broader vocabulary and so those those words kind of getting lost from our our common use whereas once upon a time they may have been used a lot more often right it's worth it's worth recovering those things it's worth talking about that
0: yeah i don't know something that i thought of earlier was uh uh, it was something that our, our bishop has said he he talked about how modern medicine is a gift of the Holy Spirit, mm. and you were saying before how you know the charism of doctors it it, it appears in medicine, right? Very and much. I have I have never thought of it that way. I, I had thought I had never thought of that way until I heard uh, Bishop Caggiano say it, um, and I think that was because I've grown up in a I've grown up in a rationalist society. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if I don't I don't know i maybe maybe it's different you and I right. I mean, I, I don't even know the difference in age. Is it like 10 years? I'm so you?
1: much older than you. Are you really? I'm an old, old man. I don't
0: know. You're not, you're not older. <laughs> you're what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess on the air. Ready? 39.
1: Yes. Really? Correct. Wow, I can't believe I got Nailed it. Nailed it.
0: Maybe you said it in a prior episode.
1: I don't think I did, but that's okay. Okay. It doesn't yeah. matter.
0: All right. So like 10, it's 14 years. Yeah. Um, 13 and a half if we were being generous. Um, <laughs> but, but Right? But I don't know what it was for you, but I know that- even even despite going to a catholic school like it felt like i grew up being taught the rationalist approach being taught you know empirical science is king yeah and so i never once looked at something like medicine as the work of the holy spirit it just didn't even cross my mind
1: well i don't think i grew up in quite the same level of rationalism but it was absolutely present right there i think that a lot of times it it, re, it I mean, goes back to i mean arguably it's been
0: present for like Hundreds of years, sure. You know,
1: well, from the Enlightenment on, yeah. Sort of the 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 juxtaposition of science and and reason right. versus science. religious faith, yeah, yeah. And if you if you look at uh, Fides et Ratio, John Paul II's mm-hmm. encyclical on on the relationship of faith and reason, mm-hmm. what he's doing is is laying out for us very very clearly that faith and reason are not mutually exclusive, and that the sciences, in fact, can inform our faith and not only can the sciences inform our faith but our faith can inform our approach to science and that we should be seeking to know because the highest of all sciences says thomas aquinas is faith theology uh, oh, oh. <laughs> i was like i'm going to beat him to it faith, faith is a gift of god
0: right yeah that makes theology supernatural gift of the god gift
1: of god infused into the soul that's right theology is the study of god right so the greatest science is that faith-seeking understanding, which is theology. Right. If that's true, then we're using our reason to know more about God. We're, we're using our, our human gift of reason and our capacity to think rationally when it comes to talking about God. The First Vatican Council, uh, besides uh, defining papal infallibility, speaks about the fact that through the use of reason, man can know that God exists just through the use of, of reason. Yeah. Even even if you had never read the Bible or had no idea that there was such a thing as divine revelation, reason alone will help you to get to that place where you understand that there is a a higher being, that there is something divine. Well, if that's true, that reason and faith can go together, then the sciences can absolutely play that, that role. Right. Of course they would. Furthermore, what that means is that God can work through the gifts of scientists through the gifts of physicians and doctors uh psychotherapists through through all these different ways god can work and they're learning more about the human person they're unlocking the secrets of creation and as they get to know better the secrets of creation as they come to a deeper understanding of of what god is doing and how god is working these powerful powerful things are, are unfolding for us so we're going to see healing gifts exercised by doctors. And there's no question that doctors have those healing gifts. Did you know in the sacrament of anointing of the sick, one of the prayers, especially if it's a, a prayer before surgery, uh, there's, there's a, or an anointing before surgery rather, the, the prayer at the end uh, speaks about through the gifts of surgeons and nurses, through the healing powers and gifts of surgeons wow. and nurses, this person is being entrusted to you, Lord. Wow. And so it's it's also a prayer for the surgeons and nurses who are going to be taking care of them, for the for the doctors, for the medical professionals who will be involved in that care.
0: That is awesome. Yeah. That's that to me. That's not only example of how God works through everything, right? It, available to Him, and He's and He's constantly using it. But talk about the unbelievable unbelievable charity of God that even though perhaps that nurse and doctor would would never request somebody pray for them, they're getting prayed for through
1: this. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Another piece of that then is if we're looking at a rationalistic society, we can be tempted to say, all right, I've got, to, I've got to demonstrate how reasonable I am in all things. I've got to make sure that it's absolutely clear that, no, I trust science and I, and I do these things. And so we kind of push the idea of, of a spiritual life or of praying about things to the side. I can find this out through research. I can find this out by asking the experts. I can find this out by the scientific method. Mm-hmm. Right, And that that's gonna be enough. On the other hand, the other extreme would be, I'm only going to pray because I don't want my pursuit of, of rational ideas and I don't want my, my use of reason to become something that gets in the way of my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to, to study at all. I'm not gonna be open to the sciences at all. I'm just gonna pray. I'm gonna pray for the miracle. I'm gonna trust that God's gonna take care of everything. The church says we can do both things. We can we can pray mm-hmm. and we should. We absolutely need to pray. And we can trust science to do things for us. It's it's good to go to to go to the doctor. I don't like going to the doctor, right?
0: Go to the dentist.
1: <laughs> do you know it was like five years in between dental appointments for me at one point because I just wow. didn't feel like it? <laughs> so I just wouldn't make appointments to go to the dentist. I'm definitely and- overdue. I have never I'm had not a cavity. Say how
0: long it's been, and it hasn't been five years. Not to just throw you under the bus like that.
1: No, no, it's but, okay.
0: But I get it.
1: Look, I didn't have a cavity in that time. I've never had a cavity in my entire life. My gum You've never had a cavity. No, never had a cavity. My have gums are in good mold? shape. I've never had a tooth. Well, except for my wisdom teeth. No, I've never yeah, had that a tooth. Their teeth? Yeah, but. Yeah. Okay. But you have like everybody has their wisdom teeth out. I've never had yeah, a tooth pulled out of my head because it was rotting in there. Right. You know, somehow I had just gotten like terrible rotting teeth and, and needed to have them all removed. Right. Yeah. Now I've never had anything like that. I have good, healthy gums. In fact, that's the thing my dentist is always impressed by. He's like, you have good gums father. Nice. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I once, uh, Awesome. I once went to the dentist to get teeth pulled and they gave me the laughing gas awesome uh yeah it is it is i love it is, that it is kind of fun i'm just being honest with you you shouldn't go out and do it on your own that's a bad idea you'll probably die uh-huh. uh but but it was sounds fun. about right it, yeah but it was fun under the it was the it was a fun way to go into a surgery um and i started feeling like the you know the funniness and the and the like if fe- it almost feels like you've got like grains of sand on your skin like your skin is moving as grains of sand um and i looked to the doc to the d- dentist doctor you know and i was like I was like, hey doc, I'm gonna tell you a joke. Tell me if it's funny. And then I immediately fell asleep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I remember going under for the, for the uh, for the wisdom teething and waking up and you can't feel your face. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I was like poking my chin. Yeah. Just, I just kept hilarious. touching my chin. Yeah. And I was going, is this, is this, is this my lip? Is this my lip? Is this my lip? And the nurse was just. She was just laughing at me. <laughs> right. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I, I'm i not saying, like, I would never want to be a nurse, but that has got to be one of the perks of the job, I don't watching know. people wake up from a surgery, <laughs> particularly <laughs> after, after being on that. I mean, there's so many funny videos on the internet, oh, and yeah. that, that can only make up a small percentage. It's just- uh,
1: I don't know. My mom's a nurse, and- okay. All I know is we got lots of stories from mom about different things that she had to deal with at work, and none of them were ever funny stories about people waking up from anesthesia. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, (laughs) We had a joke actually in the family that that mom would tell us about things as, as as a way to keep me and my brother from hurting ourselves. Yeah. Uh, or, or just to instill in us the sense that we should be cautious. And it was always, I had a patient once who did this thing, and now, they got par- now they're got paralyzed. Or I, <laughs> I, I knew a patient once who did this thing, and they almost lost their arm. Or I knew a patient once who did this. And so the, the joke would become, yeah, mom knew this guy once. Uh, anytime, right. anytime we were going to do anything remotely dangerous, right. even not even remotely dangerous, just anything that was like without parental supervision, right. the, the joke was always, oh, mom knew this guy once. You know?
0: mom, mom knew this guy once who actually walked out the front door all on his own. Exactly, and he fell down all his stairs, all of them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we used to tease my mom about that a lot. It was yeah. it was great. No, but I think it, it's important to keep these things in in a healthy tension and a healthy balance. That our ability to reason is a gift. God gave us a brain for a reason. Mm-hmm. And that brain works and the technology that we've developed is, is to be used for, for its proper purpose. And so we can, we can trust medicine and that, that's a good thing. And doctors and nurses and, and medical professionals and, and psychologists, these are all things that, that can help us to that place of healing. At the same time that we recognize that there is healing that comes through the scientific arts, we also need to understand that there's healing that comes through spiritual means. And that there's a supernatural way of of healing that can that can happen, and we shouldn't we shouldn't too quickly reject the idea of praying for people to get well. We shouldn't too quickly reject the idea of being prayed over or prayed for.
0: Mm-hmm. And what if what if a layperson wants to pray over you?
1: I'm okay with that. Okay, because
0: uh, I, I know there's like there's differences of opinions on
1: that. Well, when you talk about praying over people, uh, spiritual. Uh, that kind of spiritual ministry and prayer ministry yeah. to people, uh, they do have some things that they suggest that I think are important. Yeah. Uh, you know, one is to be really sensitive to how you how you use touch, mm. and also to be really sensitive to to how you speak. Mm. Uh, just because you have an idea in in your mind, uh, doesn't mean that it's something that this person needs to hear. So be careful about what you say right. <laughs> out loud. Right. Uh, and kind of let them direct the prayers. There's something in particular that they want to pray for. Uh, very often you'll, you'll hear if, if somebody's praying over somebody um, they'll mention something I'm I'm having this this image in my head is there does that sound right does that make any sense to you uh, or I God's just placed this on my heart and I just want to share it with you and if it helps you then then great if it doesn't help you then just this please is the forget person it. praying yeah yeah and then'll they'll they'll, sh- they'll say whatever it is that the Lord the Lord brought up but the biggest thing is you're praying over people you need to have people who are interceding. Where their only job is, all right. If if we're praying over Matt today, then all right, you and you, uh, you know, Bob and Steve over here, you're gonna pray for Matt uh, and just intercede. Don't say anything. Just pray for him while we're while we're doing this prayer. And then Matt, what do you want to pray for? What what are you looking right. for? What's the? Is there a healing that you're looking for? Is there is there something that, that you have on your heart that you want clarity about? All right, that's what we're gonna pray for. And so then if I'm praying out loud and I'm leading the prayer, then my prayer is going to be, Lord, we ask you for this clarity, for this healing that Matt's asking for, whatever it is. These two over here are just interceding. But I've expressed that that's you. what I'm looking for. Exactly. Yeah. And so that allows the the prayer to become more right. more focused and it keeps it safe. But the other thing is they talk about like using using touch. If you're going to lay hands on somebody in yeah. prayer, first of all, that's not a bad thing. It's very biblical. Yeah. It, it goes back. But you've got to be sensitive to what right. people are comfortable with. And
0: also, typically, if they're like, if they aware of it, like don't do it unannounced. That sounds like really – right. Like- that sounds like consensual language, but it's- but it's
1: actually important spiritually. Right, it's important spiritually because if 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 you come and put your hand on my shoulder and I'm not expecting that while while we're praying, uh, I can get uncomfortable and so focused on the hand on my shoulder that I'm not actually aware of God's presence. Yeah. So if there's going to be any kind of laying on of hands, right, you've got to talk about it. And right. make sure that it's okay. But one of the important things with that, they say and
0: consensual like, language is a good thing. That's I don't. It is no. It's very bad way. No,
1: but it's it's helpful to keep to keep the 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 environment the of prayer to the spiritual is interesting, right? Well, because you you want that environment of prayer to be one that's safe. Yeah, we never want somebody to feel uncomfortable about praying. <laughs> right. Basically.
0: Yeah. That's it's it's like they'll be more open
1: to it. Right. The, but they'll talk about this when when lay people are engaged in prayer ministry. There's plenty of lay people who have healing gifts plenty of lay people who have particular spiritual insight and and they need to be able to to exercise that that gift but they'll say if there's laying on of hands only a priest should touch the person's head mm. because to touch someone's head is a sign of authority and the priest is the one who has spiritual authority by virtue of his vocation as a priest mm-hmm. And by virtue of his ordination, he has a spiritual authority. So only a priest should touch someone's head when praying over them.
0: See, and, and that's the thing. Because I wanted to bring that up because uh, the, my original thought process for this this portion of our conversation was: I went to a I went to a Steubenville conference, mm-hmm. and Doctor Mary Healy talked about oppression ministry. Yeah, and how there was a long time where people you know it, the people were under the impression it was only for the clergy. Mm-hmm but that's not the case right that there there that's not to say that there aren't portions of oppression ministry that are are only for the clergy like i would never be able to perform an exorcism and i mean I'm, i don't know if you're an exorcist right I, i'm assuming you're not considering that i've known you for a while but the bishop I, I'm would I'm not have as to, far as i know right the bishop would have <laughs> to give lend his his you know his authority his authority to exercise demons to you right and i'm pretty sure that's the language lending it because it's an apostolic thing you know but there is still a portion that lay people can participate in. And that, that was something that I didn't know. But she went, she made she went out of her way to say, like, but this is not for everything. You got like, you know, you can't just say certain things. There are certain prayers that you can't say because you're not ready for the backlash. Sure. And I thought that was interesting too, you know.
1: It's one of the reasons that a a priest has to be given permission by the bishop to perform an exorcism and it's one of the reasons that that priest has to go to confession before he does it, has to make sure he's practiced in the right and that he's ready, spiritually prepared to do it because you're right, that backlash can be very, very real. Yeah. Uh, another piece of that, though, is, is it's true. It's not limited only to, to clergy, but there are certain things in any kind of spiritual warfare stuff mm-hmm. that is limited to clergy. And that has to do with the priest, by virtue of the sacrament of holy orders, possessing certain powers uh, that are for spiritual authority. Right. The, the priest can bless in a way that a lay person cannot bless. a a priest can affect God's grace through the sacramental formulas in a way that a lay person ordinarily cannot right right with that then there are the prayers that people can say so father Chad Ripperger has uh has a book about uh prayers for deliverance that can be used by the laity and the idea is that these are prayers that that any person can pray Mm -hmm. on behalf of someone else and it's very powerful when you realize that, because going back to that idea of community and how important it is for us to have a community of people that support us and that we can talk to, well, that community isn't always going to include clergy. Right. Sometimes there's, there's not a priest around who you're friends with, but you've got people who are believers, who, who share the faith with you, and they're available. Hey, can you guys pray with me about this? Mm-hmm. Or there may be a situation where, uh, for example, in your own house, you have authority, you have spiritual authority over your house, right? In a way that I don't have spiritual authority over your house because it's not my house. But as a priest, I have a like I'm going to come by. We're going to bless the house, right? Mm. I have the authority to bless the house, but you have spiritual authority because it's your home.
0: I did do. Do you know the thing that it's a? It's it's. Did uh, so you do the epiphany blessing? The, yeah, with the chalk. The,
1: yeah, the 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 blessing of uh, with chalk for epiphany. Right, and and that but where's it come from where's the blessing where's the blessed chalk come from you right. got the blessed chalk at church right the priest blessed the chalk and gave it to you with this prayer that right. you would say so it's an extension of priestly. And this is this is the yeah. beautiful thing when you start thinking about how how priestly authority works but also just how spiritual authority broadly speaking works that that there are all of these these degrees to which we're connected and and to which that authority can be extended and that authority being extended really matters yeah, that the bishop extends his authority to me as a priest to celebrate sacraments and to do these different things that I share in his in his role is very powerful. That for certain circumstances, like uh, during the pandemic, he delegated to any pastor who had more than this number of kids being confirmed, he delegated to the pastors the authority to confirm, wow. which ordinarily I can only confirm on the Easter Vigil, on Pentecost, or in danger of death. Mm. The faculty to confirm is not ordinarily my faculty. Did you confirm? I did. Wow. So I got to confirm. What was that
0: experience?
1: It was very cool. Um, What was really special in that particular year was that one of the kids who was confirmed, uh, I had baptized and had given her her first communion also. Wow. Uh, My history at this parish goes back long enough that... uh, When I was first ordained, she was one of the first kids I baptized at the parish. And then by the time I came back as pastor and she was going through the confirmation prep, or she was, excuse excuse me, going through first communion prep. And then, so I gave her her first communion. And then I was also there for her confirmation. And it happened that her confirmation was taking place during the pandemic when the bishop couldn't come to like the larger ceremonies. And so because there were going to be so many kids and we'd have to break them up into much smaller groups, uh, I was doing... Two or three confirmation ceremonies a day uh, for, for like three weeks. What? Yeah.
0: Wait. So, but how many kids got confirmed at a time?
1: It was like ten to fifteen kids. Wow, so you that had we could that
0: many kids confirmed. Yeah. How many people belong to this parish?
1: We, it's a twenty three hundred family parish. Whoa. So there's there's a lot of people. Here. I didn't yeah. know it was that big. It's a big parish. Yeah. That's it's, awesome. It's really blessed. Yeah. It's it's beautiful. But it was it was really cool. And I remember I remember confirming her and just wow, I've been a part of this kid's life. Yeah at some really significant spiritual moments. And yeah. I, was, I was deeply aware of the privilege of that. Yeah. And, and also aware of what a privilege it was to confirm in, in those circumstances, that, that this was like an extension of my pastoral ministry, uh, but also a, a sharing in the bishop's ministry. And, and that, was, that was very powerful. Mm. Um, yeah, I was, I was grateful for that opportunity. And I'm also grateful now that we don't have to worry about that stuff yeah, and, fair enough. and the bishop can come right. yeah. <laughs> like freely. No problem. It's, yeah, yeah. it's fine. We're, we're all good. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I think, uh, let's, let's wrap it there because oh,
0: I got one more thing. Oh, you got one more thing. Go oh, and yeah. do your
1: one more thing. So, cause I want
0: to bring it back to what we were talking about at, at kind of at the beginning. Marathons. <laughs> no, no, the charisma. Mean, I guess it's, hang it's permeating. I, I think I
1: have an update. I think I have an update. Let's see. Oh, she's at mile 24. So we're we're getting, we're getting real America? close. 26.2. Okay.
0: I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so so answer me this, okay, because this has been this has been on my brain the entire time uh, that we've been speaking. It's awesome that we can recognize the charisms in the quote unquote everyday stuff, you know. But I have a longing to see the very supernatural. Mm. Uh and there was a whole point in time where I was praying to be a part of a more charismatic church not not meaning like maybe i should rephrase it not a more charismatic church but a more more charismatic group in the church um and in many ways i think that prayer has been answered but i haven't you know seen anybody healed like I've, i i mean it, there's there's so many places you could go with this where it's like well why you know why do i long to see someone healed but i'm i've already seen people spiritually healed but like it's like it's like not as satisfying to an extent even though i know that's the better of the two
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's almost a question, it's like the question of like, what would you rather see? Would you rather see, what's the better miracle, uh, better miracle, you know,
1: miracles are miracles. Yeah, we yeah. accept them all, whatever they might be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the host turning into, you know, seeing the, the blood.
1: Right. What, what's better? One of or, the Eucharistic miracles or, or mass celebrated this morning,
0: Right. which is the Eucharistic miracle in the, in, the first place, you know right. what I mean? Right. So it's like, why? Uh, it seems to me like it's a twist in the heart. You know what I mean? Where I've
1: So yeah, go go but go but to first Corinthians thirteen. Jonah,
0: you know what I mean? It's like I'm not an evil and adulterous nation. They don't get a sign. You know what I mean? They right. get the sign of Jonah. And that sign of Jonah is the resurrection. And in, in a way, I've heard it's also said it's the conversion of the Gentiles. You know, so I've experienced that. Right. So why do I long to see the supernatural? But it also seems like a good thing. I would of course, like if if the church is true, right? And if Christ is who he says he is, which he is, you know, I should be seeing people healed. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: read First Corinthians twelve and thirteen. <laughs> okay, so First I Corinthians. You're gonna end it there? No, no. <laughs> First Corinthians thirteen, of course, is the love is patient, love is kind, etc. Uh, I should know That was a part of my wedding. Yeah, exactly. It's it's always at weddings. It's beautiful and yeah. it's it's very important. But what comes before that is St. Paul describing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So as he's describing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he's he's speaking to this, this reality that there are many gifts. But then what does he say? He says, strive eagerly for the greatest spiritual gifts. Strive eagerly for the greatest spiritual gifts. But even after he says that, then he says, but I will show you a still more excellent way. And that's when he comes to the We have these faith, hope, and love, Mm -hmm. these three, but the greatest of them is love. The greatest gift, the greatest of the gifts of the Spirit is love. All of the other gifts, the great spiritual gifts that we should be striving eagerly for, like there's nothing wrong with wanting to have the, the gift of interpretation of tongues or the gift of administration or the gift of healing. There's nothing bad about that. Strive eagerly for the greatest spiritual gifts. But the greatest of all the gifts is love. And if you don't have that, it doesn't matter what other gifts you have. Right. Those other gifts don't matter. However, all that being said, that desire for the more charismatic church, if you realize the theology of the church, what the church actually teaches about baptism and confirmation, What happens in baptism? In baptism, we're washed clean of original sin, we're grafted onto the body of Christ that is the church, and we are infused with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes up his dwelling among us and in us. So when the nuns would say, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, they were right. They were absolutely correct. We become a living temple of the Holy Spirit. In confirmation, those gifts of the Holy Spirit are sealed within us, poured out with a new vigor. We have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're ours. And
0: what? so if
1: we have those gifts, why don't we exercise them? So if there's anything, it's that need for the church to come to understand how to exercise the gifts because those miracles, exactly those those radical manifestations that you're longing to see, yeah. those are things that actually can happen. I know. They can happen. Um but we need to cultivate in our own hearts the desire to see them. We need to cultivate in the hearts of, of people that ability to engage with the gifts of the Spirit and to, to exercise the gifts of the Spirit. And what is it that holds us back from exercising the gifts?
0: Doesn't it, doesn't it kind of mean, I, 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 I hope I use proper language when I express this, but if in fact we, we've been gifted these gifts, isn't the fact that I don't see them Kind of a sign that the church, insofar as, as it's the body of Christ, and not—it's uh, complicated, because I don't mean— when I say it, I don't want to imply Christ is. But doesn't it mean that the church is sick? You know what I mean? Isn't it, is not it—is it a form of like, well, what's going on with the church that we're not seeing these things that arguably should be there?
1: You know what I mean? That's very fair. that That's a very fair question. Um, I don't know if it means that the church is sick.
0: Right, and that's—I realize that that language is—
1: no, but it's, it's good language to use, actually, because th- there are times when the church is sick and there needs to be reform. a healing. There needs to be reformed. Yeah. There needs to be, to be work done. It's, it can also be an indication of, of where the Holy Spirit wants the church to focus some attention. Mm. Uh, I think the important thing is to, to see here that the exercise of the gifts of the Spirit and gifts of healing and miracles is not absent in the life of the church. It is happening. If it was absent entirely, if no one was, quote unquote, using the gifts of the spirit, then we would have a bigger problem. But in fact, there is a, a use of those gifts. The, the gifts are being exercised and they're being exercised responsibly and well and yeah. with discernment. And so the fact that that's happening is an indication that, all right, we are on track. The fact that there's something like the charismatic renewal Right. And there's a desire for the charismatic gifts to be expressed and to be manifested. That's also good. Do, the fact that there's so many the people...
0: Are you involved in the charismatic renewal?
1: I'm not involved in a formal way in the charismatic renewal, right. but I've, I've experienced uh, a lot of charismatic prayer. I've done life in the spirit seminars. Okay. I'm uh, not familiar with that. that so is. a life in the spirit seminar is basically a, uh, a time that you, you set aside uh, with... It's a small retreat. Okay. A mini retreat in which the focus is on praying with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, praying for the outpouring of those gifts. Again, remember that in baptism and confirmation, you have the gifts of the Spirit already. So if you already have those gifts, it's about releasing them, yeah. about allowing God to work through you and allowing those, those gifts of the Spirit to be expressed. Understanding that while all of us possess the gifts, uh, there's kind of this additional layer, which is that God desires for you to exercise particular gifts. Yeah. And so, this particular charism might be given to you for one purpose or, or another. Right. Uh, so, a life in the Spirit seminar is kind of about teaching people what their gifts are. Uh, now, a lot of times you'll hear you'll hear things talked about like a discernment of gifts seminar. So, we want you to understand what your gift is and sort of how, then how best to use it. Uh, it's also about teaching people to pray in the freedom of the Spirit. Yeah. Uh, and so, i I mean, I've I've done that, and there, there's a, there's a lot of truth in it. Um. Sometimes the style of prayer for people is is off putting. They don't like that yeah. particular. I mean, I way know a of lot of praying.
0: people that don't like that informal, like sure. maybe informal is the wrong word because they are informal privately, in the confines of their head, you know, yeah. and with close friends.
1: Yeah, and there's sometimes the uh, with with charismatic stuff. Uh, there can be, and a lot of people are sensitive to this now, uh, more so than they, I think they used to be. Um, there can be sort of a, a blurring of lines between, like, the church's liturgy, which is the church's prayer, yeah, and we don't mess with the church's prayer, right? And charismatic prayer kind of being brought into that, which is is really not what's meant to happen. Right. That doesn't mean that you can't pray in the Holy Spirit while you're at mass, right? There, there are people who. We see this in the lives of the saints. Like uh, Saint Philip Neri would go into ecstasy while he was celebrating mass, such that they eventually had to allow him to celebrate mass only in private because he would go into ecstasy. Wow! You know, and so he was literally floating, right? And in a trance, and <laughs> cannot be disturbed <laughs> while he's saying mass. So he would have a server who would, would come have to into pull the chapel. Him down. <laughs> well, he would have a server who would come into the chapel, and then would leave. When he went into ecstasy and would sit outside the chapel and wait. And then Philip Neary had a little bell by the altar. So he would ring it when when he would had come out of the ecstasy. He would ring the bell and the server would come back in and finish serving mass for him. Right. right. Because he would just, oh, I got I got kind of lost. And the server would come in and tell him where he'd left off. Right. So that's <laughs> so he'd gotta that come hilarious. back to the prayer. But that's how God deep has his such was. a good sense of exactly. Hearing. So this is the thing. We can pray charismatically. We can pray with the gifts of the spirit at mass. It's just that there's, there's also a way in which we have to respect the boundaries of what the Mass is. So the reason that a lot of people get uncomfortable with praying charismatically is because they think that that's going to be forced onto the Mass, and they don't want that. And they have right. a deep devotion and love for the Mass, which is good. Right. But, so when but you can keep those things separate, like, when you can keep those things kind of separate and, and just understood, you should be okay.
0: Right. But so, so look at something like adoration, right? Yeah. Because I feel like that is such a... I mean, first of all, I don't know how long adoration has been a practice in the church.
1: Centuries upon centuries. It has been. Okay.
0: Yeah. All right. But that seems like the opportunity for something more charismatic to happen because yes. it's, not, it's not the mass,
1: you know? Well, and the church has always understood that there's, there's a place for devotional activity. There's a place for, for prayer. There's a place for, for communal prayer that isn't liturgical. Right. We've gotten in the habit in the years since the Second Vatican Council of kind of putting everything in the context of mass. Like right. I look back now and, and I think about graduating from eighth grade from my Catholic school and that we had a graduation mass and the graduation ceremony was just kind of sandwiched into the mass. Uh, and and I look back on it now and I go, that's kind of a weird way to do it. It, yeah. it would make sense to have a baccalaureate mass where you have the mass for the graduates, but then that the graduation ceremony is a separate activity separate, yeah. outside yeah. of the context of mass. But right. we, we did it all in one. Yeah. And kind of in hindsight, I look at it and I go, I don't know why we did that. Well, it was the habit of if as Sacrosanctum Concilium says, the mass, the Eucharist is the source and summit of the faith, then everything that we do, we, we kind of, I think in a well-intentioned, but ultimately misguided way, put everything in the context of mass. Right. Not the right place to do it. No. When we can break things apart and recognize, like you said, adoration, perfect opportunity for a deeper kind of prayer, Right. but not necessarily uh, entirely liturgical. Right. Because there's there's so much room within adoration yeah. for what you do. I think maybe the only reason people don't like charismatic prayer during adoration is they they want silence.
0: Right. Which which is a good thing. And I'm not I'm thing. not saying that shouldn't right. be there, you know what I mean? Even I mean listen, I'm a part of the Sacred Heart Guild and Renee and I are on their their music team, right? So their worship team. And we recognize that there has to be silence. We incorporate silence even when we're playing music. Right. We will stop. We'll stop for five minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever the Spirit's leading us to do. My, This is the frustration I want to air. And it's not yeah. really a frustration because my thoughts are not the Lord's thoughts. You know what I mean? I recognize <laughs> that. We were talking about it earlier, but yeah. I recognize it. And I've recognized it for a long time because I'm an idiot. Uh, and the Lord's not an idiot. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs>
1: Matt Sparazza, big dum-dum.
0: <laughs> but but it seems to me, right? It seems to me, like, like Pope Benedict XVI had said, right? That there's this dictatorship of relativism. Mm-hmm. Right, and it seems to me that if there were things like healings happening more often, something that, for whatever reason, right, even though it's arguably the lesser, a spiritual healing is is higher, is greater than a physical healing. It seems to me like if if there were healings, that's like the one-two punch that would just like knock relativism out, that would knock out rationalism, mm. you know, and this like physicalist reductionism, because you can't explain that. Right, that is explained by the supernatural. Okay.
1: I see where you're going.
0: You know what I mean? So I know that in my, having grown up in that rationalist society, but then having returned to the faith and it was philosophy, it was hardcore philosophy for a long time. And I realized that it wasn't in my heart. And then as soon as it, not as soon as it, but once it had traveled to my heart, I basically was like, I long, I long for the supernatural. Mm. I long for the thing that I long for, for the event that I can, I know is, I know it belongs to the Lord and it, arguably couldn't belong to science this is an element right if if god can which he can right he can uh enter into time and say like lift the laws of physics you know what i mean that's what levitation is it's lifting the law of gravity right you know or if it's technically a hypothesis still right but like whatever you know
1: i think gravity is a law is it a law yeah. i don't know
0: Right, but you know what I mean? It's like lifting this I'm, thing. I'm not real
1: up on my scientific yeah, history I, I right now, know. but I'm I pretty sure Newton defined that one pretty clearly.
0: Right, yeah. I, I didn't know what that term yeah. was. I have heard once that it was, you technically couldn't prove it, but it doesn't matter. Right, but you know what I mean? Where it's like lifting this thing that we know for certain, we know gravity's there, Yeah. but somehow Philip Neary- Yeah, God levitated. can
1: suspend the laws of physics, absolutely. You know what I mean? Right.
0: And it's like, well, what if, what if, uh, what's his name? Neil deGrasse Tyson, is that his name? Yeah. Right? What if he saw Philip Neri levitate? You know, and so it's like, well, he might
1: come up with some very rational explanation and for that's, it, and that's you know? certainly possible. Sure, you know what I mean. But well, it
0: seems to me implausible.
1: So I think this this idea, part of it is is the desire that you have for people to come to faith. Like ultimately, that that desire for it
0: also has to do with me, though.
1: Yeah, but but your desire to see the miracles or to see these these gifts being exercised, it's, it's a good desire. Yeah. Right. It's a, I feel it's like, a very what's his good name? desire.
0: Climbing the tree. Yeah, what's his name Zacchaeus.
1: It's a good desire. You want to see these things happen. What's it rooted in? Well, it's rooted in your desire for people to come to know Jesus. It's rooted yeah. in your desire that people would come to the faith, and that they would that they would break out of sort of that prison which is their own mind, the, the just the purely rational. Right. You want them to have the peace of Christ. So this is all very good. Yeah. It's all very good. Uh, at, at the same time, there's this this part where there's a i think a lack of testimony yeah so we've gotten really good at uh we're we're pretty good at evangelization actually yeah there's there's lots of really effective ways ways to evangelize i agree with you um, i know some powerhouses yeah we've also gotten really good at forming communities mm-hmm. so we have these strong christian communities people who belong to their parish and are super devout and super active in their in the parish life which is awesome yeah uh, but one thing that we don't always do super well is that that teaching people how to tell their story. The world loves stories, right? The world responds to to a good story. Yeah. And if you can tell your story of how God's been active in your life, then that's that's one of the ways that God's going to break through to people. Right. Without them seeing the miracle, they're going to see how how. You speak about God being active in your life, right? And their mean,
0: testimony is powerful for me, right? Personally,
1: and they'll be they'll trust your words because your story is is the truth, and they they meet you, and so they hear from you directly. That personal connection is is always the most convincing thing, right? Uh, Jesus says again and again in the Gospels, they'll see all these different signs, but they won't believe, yeah. Even if they see all these different things, he says, even if someone should rise from the dead, will you believe them? Right.
0: And, and honestly, that's my fear. My fear is that my longing to see these amazing, unbelievable signs is that I'm lacking faith. That's my fear.
1: Sure. Well, but keep it in mind then, it's it's also the desire because you know that it can happen. Yeah. Right? And how do, how do those miracles happen? How do those things come about? They come about because we believe. Right. The gifts that God gives, those supernatural uh, moments come about because of the act of faith on the part of the person who's, who's praying. Um, we can always ask for deeper faith. (laughs) We can always ask for whatever is, is not faithful in me, Lord, whatever, whatever obstacle is still there, please take it from me. But then there's also this, this other part, which is just that the very desire itself speaks as much. And I think more to the faith that's underlying it than it does to a lack of faith. Right. Um, and it's by kind of cultivating that desire and then balancing that desire with the, what miracles have you seen? What, what supernatural moments have you seen? How have you seen God present? That's why that testimony is so important. Because when right. you reflect, what's my testimony? What's my story? You start realizing how God has been present in so many different ways. When you recognize how God has been present in so many different ways, you start to realize just how beautiful all of this is, right. and just also, how powerful it is.
0: I also want to say that I realize that a lot of it is my own fault. Meaning that I've, I've I've cut off my myself from the Lord before. Sure. In the sense that, first of all, anytime I'm sinning, that's I'm cutting myself off from the Lord. So there's Welcome no, to
1: the human condition. Right? So it's like, <laughs> no
0: wonder I'm not seeing things, right? Because I'm losing the ability to see with faith. Right. You know, but on top of that, even something that maybe, I mean, honestly, it probably was a, a bit gluttonous of me that I like, I'll, I'll watch too much TV. You know what I mean? I was just talking to a friend of mine, telling him how every time I watch too much TV, I walk away feeling stupider. You know what I mean? But which like,
1: isn't a word. <laughs> this is the proof. The proof is in the pudding.
0: Right. But I walk away, I walk away feeling less sharp, mm-hmm. right? My intellect. And in a sense, right, well, maybe one of the ways I could have encountered the Lord during those those four hours of, you know, monk and psych was that I I could have like read the scriptures. You know what I mean? And I like like I could have think? spent Listen, four hours
1: reading the Summa, but instead what? I watched Monk and Psych.
0: Right, but I, I thought it was
1: Catholic, it was Monk, and then it turns out no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: turns out he's just, he's just a it guy who's out. got severe OCD yeah. and a great sense of humor. Turns out no. <laughs> but, but but you know what I mean? Even if it forget, forget four hours I could have spent all four hours. It could have been like I spent like three hours and fifty minutes watching TV and ten yeah. minutes reading the Summa. You know what I mean? And so it's like I cut myself off from the Lord. And, and that is something yeah. that I, I've struggled with, where I've got this idol in my life that I want to remove. Mm. You know,
1: well, and, and that's a different thing. That that's that doesn't mean that you don't have that you're lacking in in faith. It's it's more of a, a lacking in discipline. I know, right? <laughs> and and but sometimes we have to identify the thing. Yeah, because everyone's like you're sitting there saying I'm I, I'm afraid. There's this this part that's fearful that if if I'm if I'm longing to see these miracles, and that means that there's a lack of faith there. Uh, but sometimes the, the explanation is easier, yeah. is, is less frightening, <laughs> right? Yeah. Is, is less, uh, eternal. <laughs> it's, it's like, no, I just need to spend less time watching TV. Oh, all right. Well then I'm going to limit my TV. I'm going to discipline myself better with TV and then I'm yeah. going to move on to the next thing. And that's how we, that's how we grow. There it is. Hey, listen. I just got this update, and uh, my future sister in law Chelsea finished the Richmond Marathon in uh, four hours forty one seconds. Uh, f- sorry, four hours forty one minutes and thirty five seconds. What a baller! Yeah, yeah. Her That's average sick. her average mile was was ten forty four. So, uh, it's it's amazing. I, honestly, that might be faster than my mile. I'm, I'm I don't confident I'm confident that I can't run a 10 minute mile I'm confident that I can't run a 12 minute mile So right. I'm just gonna That's impressive Chelsea, congratulations, I'm real proud of you
0: I'm gonna add applause to this Yes <laughs> Go Chelsea
1: And that's the tangent for today I'm Father Sam Kachuba
0: I'm Matt Spraza
1: God bless you
0: Hey, everybody. This is Matt Sparaza. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Tangent. If you like what we're doing, don't forget to follow us at thetangent__catholic on Instagram. It's one of the ways that we get our content out to you. So once again, thank you for listening, and see you next time on The Tangent. God bless.